The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Well, good morning. Good morning. Uh, welcome to Christ the King. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Penny. And I'm the senior pastor, and it is good to be with you. And this is the second Sunday of the season of Advent. And uh, this year, during our Advent series, uh, we are looking at how Jesus fulfills the offices, the Old Testament offices of prophet, priest, and king. And then we're rounding it out on the fourth Sunday of Advent by looking at how Jesus is the new man. And so last week, we began this series, and we considered Jesus as our great prophet. He is the one who was promised in Deuteronomy 18, and, and he is the one who has come to fulfill that promise. He is the great prophet, the greater Moses. Well, this morning, we're turning our attention to the office of priest. Now, um, in, in talking about the priest, this is unlike talking about prophet or even king, because there isn't a single uh, few verses or f- single section of scripture that encapsulates the priesthood like we had with the prophet, or next week as we will with the king. Um, There are many places we could turn, right? We could look at the book of Leviticus. We could look at portions of Exodus. We could look at different parts of uh, the prophets. And each one of these places would give us a little bit of information about the priest. Um, So so recognizing the breadth of this topic, um, we're not going to try and cover everything. We're not going to try and cover how the priests were the ones who offered sacrifices, how they led in worship. We're not going to talk about the priestly garb, right? Their their kind of uniform, their outfit that they had to wear. We're not going to talk about the Levitical line. Instead, what we're going to do is look at how Jesus doesn't simply fulfill the office of priest, but he actually transforms it. And to do that, we're going to look at a passage from Isaiah chapter 53. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. That's where we're going to begin, Isaiah 53. But we're also going to look at Hebrews chapter 4 and Hebrews chapter 7. Um, so if you don't have a Bible or, um, or flipping through all those pages might be uh, uh, too, too strenuous, I guess, or, or uh, too difficult, we are going to be projecting the passage as well. So Isaiah 53, beginning in verse 4, the prophet writes this. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for this, for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Now jumping ahead to Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 14, the author of Hebrews writes, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus 
the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. And then Hebrews chapter 7, beginning in verse 23. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And as we come to it, we ask simply that you would help us. Help us so that our eyes would see and our ears would hear. Help us to soften our hearts so that we would receive your word. Help us so that your word would go forth this, this day in this place. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So I imagine that um, most... Uh, most of you have or were forced to read uh, Macbeth, you know, Shakespeare's uh, wonderful play about tragedy and power, right? You remember the story of Macbeth. Macbeth centers around this one character, Macbeth, and his wife, Lady Macbeth, and, and they are desiring power, and they're desiring power specifically in regards to the king of Scotland, that's what they're wanting to be, right? That Macbeth wants to be the king of Scotland. But the problem is, is there's another king, King Duncan. And so Macbeth and Lady Macbeth, they conspire together to murder the king. Well, this act of evil, this act of wickedness, it, it weighs on Macbeth, right? And, and Lady Macbeth, she feels the guilt for the act that they have perpetrated, they can't sleep, and when they finally do get a little bit of rest, their, their sleep is overcome with nightmares, nightmares of murder and of bloodshed, right? Guilt and torment, they overwhelm them. They gnaw at Lady Macbeth, so much so that the, one of the most famous scenes is her rubbing her hands together vigorously, saying, out, spot, out, I say, Here's yet a spot, here's the small of blood still. There she's found rubbing and rubbing, trying to remove the stain of her guilt, trying to remove the spot of sin. It's a famous scene. It's so famous that it's been repeated and duplicated in TV shows and movies. Right? And, and we can understand why, right? That sense of guilt, that sense of shame and wanting to be done with it, wanting to remove it. We know what that's like because we bear shame and guilt for the things we've said, for the things that we've done. Now, I imagine in the midst of our shame and our guilt, we're not in the bathroom rubbing our hands vigorously. We're not seeing spots of blood on our skin. 
But we want to wash away our guilt, don't we? We want to be done with our shame. And so we try to assuage our guilt with generosity, right? For all the things that I've done in the past, maybe if I just give enough money, I give enough time, I I give to the poor, to the needy, to those less fortunate, maybe then I will feel better about the things I'm guilty of. Or maybe we try to remove our shame by acts of service, right? If I give of myself, if I fill every moment, every minute, every second serving those in need, then, then maybe my shame, I will overcome it with these acts. One of my favorite bands, Arcade Fire, who's not a Christian band, they ask a question. They say, do you think your righteousness can pay the interest on your debt? Do you? Can you pay the interest on your debt? Can you pay your debt itself? Is that how we deal with shame and with guilt? With sin by our own righteousness, by our own good deeds? Well, Arcade Fire, they answer their own question. Do you think your righteousness can pay the interest on your debt? They say, I have my doubts about it. Well, y'all, I have no doubt about it. There are not enough good deeds or pious words or positive thoughts that can remove the spot of sin. What we need is not more of our own righteousness because we don't have enough of it to begin with. What we need to remove the spot of sin, what we need to deal with our shame and our guilt is atonement. That's what we are in need of and that's what Christ gives us. You see, as our priest, Christ makes atonement for us. That's what Isaiah is pointing to. He says, surely he has borne our grief. Speaking of the suffering servant who would come, speaking of Jesus, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. This is what the suffering servant will do. This is what Jesus, as our high priest, does for us. I mean, did you notice what the prophet said? Whose transgression and iniquities he is pierced and crushed for? Well, not his own. Ours. Right? The passage is explicit. Our transgressions and iniquities. He carried our sorrows. He bore our griefs. Now, in the Old Testament, the Old Testament priests would offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. Would offer the blood of a bull or of a lamb or of another animal to make atonement for the sins of the people. But, but he would also need to make atonement for his own sin. But when Jesus offers a sacrifice, he doesn't offer the sacrifice of a bull or of a lamb or of some other animal. He instead offers himself as the final sacrifice for atonement. But it's not for his sin because he has none. It is for ours. In fact, Hebrews 4 is clear, isn't it? That though Jesus was tempted in every way that we have been, he did not sin. In all those ways in which we have been tempted, in all those ways that we have fallen short, in all those ways we have failed, Christ has succeeded. Remember, he resisted the temptation of the devil, 
right? Three times he was tempted in the wilderness. He resisted the temptation of his own people. Remember, he had to say to Peter, get behind me, Satan. He was without sin. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, number 44, says that Christ executes the office of a priest and is once offering himself as a sacrifice without spot to God, to the reconciliation for the sins of his people and in making continual intercession for them. Now we're going to get to intercession in a little bit, but did you hear what it said? He was without spot. Hebrews 7 describes Jesus as the high priest who is holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He was without sin, and because he was without sin, his sacrifice is sufficient to save, to blot out our transgressions. And so you see how Jesus is actually transforming the priesthood, right? He's not only the priest who offers the sacrifice, but he is the priest who is the sacrifice. A sacrifice so significant that we have no need for another. That's what Hebrews 7 says. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. You see, Jesus is our priest who gave himself to atone for our sin. And by his atoning work, he grants us access to the Father. That's the second thing he does. He grants us access. Look at Hebrews 4. He says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know, when Cole was a child, well, he's still a child, when he was a little child, uh, when he was a baby, an infant, uh, he had really bad ear infections, and he had them again and again and again. And I know ear infections are normal for kids, right, for, for babies, for infants, but my, my girls had them too. But, but colds, they seem to keep coming back. We would get rid of one, and, and a week or two later, another one would come, and they were always very severe. And so after a little while of experiencing this, our pediatrician finally said, you need to see an ENT and have tubes put in, and let's just be done with this. Let's, let's uh, deal with this problem. And so as soon as our pediatrician told us this, I knew exactly who we needed to call because less than a mile from where we lived was the office of one of the best ENTs in St. Louis and in the state of Missouri. And so this is the guy I wanted to perform this procedure, right? I know, for, you know, as far as procedures go, this is pretty common, pretty normal, but, but it's still my son, right? So I want, I want someone good, <laughs> right? And so, uh, but I also knew that I couldn't just pick up the phone and cold call because if I just called them out of the blue, I would have to wait because he's one of the best in the state. And we'd be waiting and waiting and waiting, right? He was sought after. But I didn't have to actually cold call him. Uh, in fact, uh, I didn't have to cold call him because I didn't have to call his office because this man who was one of the best ENTs in the state of Missouri was also a man that I had lunch with once a month. And so I just picked up the phone, I called him. And I told him what was going on, and he said, Penny, just call tomorrow. Call my office. And so I pick up the phone, and I call the office in the morning, and, and as soon as I say my name, the, the receptionist says, oh, yes, Mr. Penny Legion, S say no more. 
We know exactly why you're calling. We've been expecting your call. Cole's procedure is set up for this date. Will that work with your schedule? And just like that, one phone call, the saying of my name, and we had access to exactly what we needed. And y'all, that's what Jesus grants us. He grants us greater access than even that. In our time of need, we have access to the Father who is in heaven. We have access to the creator of the universe. I mean, think about that. That is the access that we have. So where in your time of need do you go? Where do you look? I mean, think about times of temptation. Times when you're tempted maybe to lust or to gossip, towards hatred or gluttony, towards those impure thoughts or those angry feelings that well up in your heart. In those times of temptation, what do you do? Where do you go? Do you just white-knuckle it? I'm going to work harder. I'm going to try harder. This time, I'm going to have enough resolve. Do you rub your hands vigorously? Maybe more vigorously than before? How's that going? Does that work works pretty well for you? Successful? Well, maybe for a moment, right? Maybe for a minute. But eventually, don't we fail? We fall short. Friends, we don't have to white-knuckle it. We don't have to rub our hands. No, we have access to the throne room of God. And so what that means is that we can bring our worries and our fears, our anxieties and our hurts, our pains, our trials, struggles, and difficulties, we can bring them to the creator of the universe and receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Yo, we have access to the Father, not because of our strength or our good deeds or our pieties, but, piety, but because of Jesus, our high priest. What's amazing is that the high priests in the Old Testament, they would come in to the Holy of Holies once a year, and they would make atonement on behalf of the people of God. But the people were still left outside the tent. But what Jesus does as our great high priest, he actually brings us with him into God's presence so that we can confidently approach the throne of grace because of what Christ has done. We can boldly approach the throne of grace because of Christ's work, that he has atoned for our sin. And so in our time of need, we cry out to him. In our time of struggle, we approach the Lord. In our time of hurt, we find mercy. We find mercy because our high priest has atoned for our sins and grants us access to the Father and he intercedes for us. That's what Hebrews 7 says. Jesus holds his, high, his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. He intercedes. Jesus prays for us. And we actually see Jesus praying for his people in his earthly ministry. You remember in Luke 22? He says to Peter, Peter, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. So think about that. Peter, Satan demanded you. He wants your soul. He demanded you. And so what does Jesus say he did? But I have prayed for you 
that your faith may not fail. Now, what's amazing about that as I was thinking about this is, is that Peter didn't even know that this is what Satan demanded. Peter didn't even know the threat, and yet Jesus, knowing the threat, Jesus, knowing what Peter needs, prays on behalf of Peter. And it's not just Peter. In John 17, the high priestly prayer, Jesus prays for his disciples, and he prays for those who will believe through their word, and we are those who have believed. That means that Jesus, even then, was praying for us. Right, praying that we would know the love that the Father has for the Son and and that we would be brought together in unity and that we would be in the world but not of the world, right? This is what he prayed for us. And yet his prayers did not end with his death because Christ has risen and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father and before the Father, even today, he's interceding for you and for me. Y'all, isn't that amazing to think about? I mean, think about the comfort that we experience knowing that people are praying for us, right? I mean, over the last few years, right, y'all have shared with me and my family what you've been, you know, how you've prayed for us in times of need over the last few months, particularly with Kat's surgery and then recovery, and now in two weeks, another surgery to come, right? Many of y'all have shared, we're we're praying for you, and, and the comfort and the support and the peace and the strength that we feel as you are praying, and it's not just we that experience this, right? Like many of y'all have shared with me in our physical needs, in our emotional needs, in our spiritual needs, the support that we experience from God's people as you pray for us, right? We know what it's like to be strengthened and to find peace through God's people's prayers. Well, how much more from Christ? I mean, think about that. Like, Jesus doesn't just pray when he happens to remember, Right? And he doesn't pray because he wrote it down or he just happens to think about it. Right? As wonderful, as wonderful as our prayers are for one another, I have to tell you, my prayers are not perfect. <laughs> Sometimes we don't know what to say or for how long to pray or, or for what to pray. Right? Yet Jesus, our high priest, he, he's always praying for us. His priesthood continues forever. The author of Hebrews says he always lives to make intercession for you and for me. So friends, do you see how Jesus is transforming the priesthood? He transforms it, right? He doesn't just fulfill it. The priests of the Old Testament, they prayed for the people and the high priest entered into the Holy of Holies and the priests offered sacrifices again and again and again. But Jesus, he is the one who never stops interceding. We should find comfort in that. Jesus is the priest who not once a year, but, but each day leads us into the presence of God. And so we should approach him in our time of need. Jesus is the high priest who not only offers a sacrifice for our transgression, but gave himself as the sacrifice for our sin. Let us trust in his atoning work. Let us know, as the great song that we often sing says, let us know that before the throne of God, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, 
whoever lives and pleads for me. That is our great high priest. That is our Lord who has given himself and who beckons us into the throne room of God and prays for you. Amen. Let's go to that, Lord. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you do invite us into your presence through the work of Jesus. And so we come boldly and confidently, not in our own strength, not in our own works, but in his. We claim the name of Jesus and we come and thank you and are full of gratitude for what you have done. And we ask that you would lead and move, that you would work in our lives to turn us from our sin, to lead us away from temptation and to deliver us from evil so that we would be your faithful people giving you praise and honor, glory and worship. So help us to do this, and we pray this in Christ's name and all God's people said together, Amen.